Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. The Green Goddess. Mary Jane. Herb. Reefer. Doobie. Marijuana has some 1,200 slang names. That's because when a substance is illegal, people need to change the name as soon as authorities catch on. But in just a few weeks, on January 1st, ganja smokers across the state will be able to go into stores to buy some cannabis. It's happening. It's really, really happening. To get you ready for that change, Bay Curious has put together a show answering five questions about legalized weed. We've gotten questions from longtime medical cannabis users and people who've never tried it before. And interestingly, most of our question askers decided to remain anonymous. So we've asked a computer to stand in. I'm so happy to help. I'm Olivia Allen Price. I'm Jessica Placek. And I am Weedbot. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. First, let's get a lay of the land. You might be thinking, didn't we vote on this a year ago? Didn't Prop 64 make weed legal? Yes, it did. But lawmakers wanted to give everyone time to get things sorted out before adults could walk into a store and buy pot without a medical card. That will all start to change on January 1st. Okay, let's begin. Hey, Weedbot, what's our first question? Where will I be able to buy cannabis on January 1st? Short answer, not everywhere. In some ways, the laws around pot are kind of similar to the ones around alcohol. And local governments get a lot of say in how things are going to go down. So think of how you can have a dry city, for example, where alcohol can't be sold at all. Local governments can make similar restrictions around retail cannabis. One thing we do know, recreational marijuana won't be as easy to find as you might expect. While some cities will allow retail stores to open, others won't. And a lot have imposed temporary bans because they just don't know if they want pot yet. A few larger cities have given the green light to cannabis vendors. Like San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. So when the ball drops in those places... Oh, 
not so fast. You might still have to wait a few days because not all of those cities will be ready right away. So to wrap up, check your local listings. Hey, Jessica, I have a medical card from the Department of Public Health. Unexpected. I have debilitating anxiety. Sorry, weed bot. Anyway, what changes for medical card holders like me? Okay, for this one, I called Greg Zeman, an associate editor at Cannabis Now magazine. He told me if you go into a dispensary, you'll notice some changes. If you like edibles and the sales numbers from dispensaries say that you probably do, you're going to notice that the potency level has been capped. Also, there's going to be restrictions on the shapes of those edibles. You're not going to be allowed to have any uh, human, animal, or fruit shapes. And there the concern is making sure that they don't appeal to children. And there'll also be some child-proof packaging. After January 1st, products will also need lots more testing. These tests will make sure there's no harmful pesticides and your edibles have an even distribution of THC. That's good. I have some friends who have been burned by a brownie. Oh, don't we all? And Weedbot. With that medical card, you'll be exempt from some state taxes and be allowed to buy more than one ounce of weed, which is the limit for recreational adult users. But one ounce, that's like a lot, right? Yeah, I think it's safe to say most people don't smoke that much in a day. Next up, we turn to our roadways, which are already a pretty precarious place to be in the Bay Area. We'd bought, what did our listener want to know? Is there any scientific standard for how much marijuana is too much to drive on? On January 1st, the laws about driving will be the same as they are today. Which is to say, you can't drive under the influence. Right. But how do you define under the influence when it comes to pot? Reporter Eli Wirtschafter found out California has no clear rules about how much marijuana is too much. The science on marijuana and driving is still pretty hazy, but stoned drivers do cause some accidents. I met my friend Meg Schwarzman at an intersection in Berkeley where she used to ride her bike almost every day. We're at the corner of Bancroft and Fulton. Last February, she was in a crash here that almost killed her. She had an 11-month-old baby at home, and she was being an extra careful biker. She was wearing a day-glow green jacket and a new helmet over her curly hair. So this intersection is where I was hit. The driver was behind me, and he ran over me from behind, trapping me under the car and dragging me 60 feet across the intersection. The driver was a medical cannabis user. He told police he had smoked before getting in the car. He actually was high enough he didn't know he'd hit me. Firefighters pulled Meg out from under the car just in time to save her life. Her injuries included 20 broken ribs, two collapsed lungs, and skull fractures around her left eye and cheek. They'd called in the fatal accident investigation team. They didn't expect me to survive. Meg recovered completely, apart from some serious scars. But she's worried that when marijuana is legalized, there will be more stoned drivers on the road. We have some deterrence with alcohol in that we have breathalyzer tests and legal consequences. And there are legal consequences for driving high also, but there aren't good tests for it. In California, the consequences for drunk and high driving are the same. But while there's a legal blood limit for alcohol, there's no such standard for marijuana. Marijuana is very different than alcohol. This is Jolene Foreman, a lawyer with the Drug Policy Alliance. With alcohol, there's a very clear correlation between the amount of drinks you have and your gender and body weight and 
and what your level of impairment is. When you drink a glass of wine, the alcohol shows up in your brain where it muddles up your ability to drive. It also shows up in your blood. And then over time, the effects wear off. The alcohol disappears from your brain and from your blood too. Marijuana works totally differently where it can stay in your blood for days and even weeks after you've consumed it. Besides that, THC, the chemical in marijuana that gets you high, can affect people really differently. So to answer the question, no, there still isn't a scientific standard to rely on. There is no clear correlation between THC levels in the blood and driving impairment. On average, marijuana does make most people worse drivers, especially 20 to 40 minutes after smoking. But measuring THC isn't a good way to tell how much worse. Now, that didn't stop Washington and Colorado from setting a legal limit for how much THC you can have in your blood when you drive. But California went the other way. Here, there's no numerical limit on THC. Instead, the law just says you can't drive under the influence of any drug. Period. A conviction depends on what an officer observes, like the car smells like weed, or a physical sobriety test. Where you see people, you know, touching their fingers to their nose or standing on one leg. Some officers are trained to identify specific signs of marijuana use, like dilated pupils. But Foreman says those tests are subjective. They depend on a cop's judgment. And because of that, there's potential for racial bias in how they're enforced. Because Black and Latinx people are pulled over at disparate rates, you know, it's not a stretch to conclude that Black and Latinx people are vulnerable to um, getting arbitrary marijuana DUIs even when they're not impaired. A lot of companies are working to create a more reliable test for marijuana impairment. Those potential solutions include cell phone apps and even a marijuana breathalyzer being developed in Oakland. That was reporter Eli Werchefter. A version of his story first ran on KALW, public radio in San Francisco. If you want to know more about that breathalyzer, visit our website, baycurious.org. So driving isn't the only place where you could someday find yourself getting tested for weed. Some employers also test their workforce for drugs, including marijuana which has a Bay Curious listener asking, Will jobs that drug tests still screen for marijuana after it's been legalized? We asked reporter Ryan Levy to tackle that one. This isn't the first time this has come up in California. Almost 10 years ago, the state Supreme Court heard a case about a guy named Gary Ross. He got hurt serving in the Air Force and eventually got a doctor's note to use medical marijuana for his chronic pain. He then leaves the military on disability because he was disabled, and he gets a job with a company called Raging Wire Telecommunications. Joe Elford was Ross's lawyer. They drug test him. He tells them, I have a doctor's recommendation to use medical marijuana pursuant to California law, and he nonetheless, of course, tests positive. He showed his boss's medical marijuana note again, but it didn't matter. They fired him. Ross took his case all the way to the state Supreme Court, saying he was unlawfully fired because of his disability. But the court disagreed, and in 2008, it said companies could fire employees for failing a drug test, even if they use marijuana medicinally. It seems so bizarre and unfair to me. Mark Leno was a state senator at the time. To believe the decision, one had to believe that when the voters of Prop 215 approved the medical use of cannabis, they only meant it to be for unemployed people. Leno got a bill passed in the state legislature that would have prevented employers from firing workers for using medical cannabis. But Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed it. 
cannabis advocates are planning on bringing that legislation back in 2018, first for medicinal use and then, they hope, for recreational use too. But for now, Prop 64 specifically amends the state's health and safety code, making it clear that employers can still ban their employees from using marijuana. So it's best to check with your employer to see what the rules are. That was reporter Ryan Levy. Getting caught high on the job could cost you your job, unless maybe you work in the cannabis industry. And that industry is growing like crazy. Some people like to call it the green rush. Money was a big incentive for the state to legalize marijuana. Analysts say it could add up to $1 billion annually to the state coffers, all from letting this illegal business come into the light. Hey, Olivia, can we talk more about that? Good idea, Weedbot. Let's take a look back at how pot was once viewed. The new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. The war on drugs disproportionately impacted people of color. Though black people and white people smoke weed at similar rates, black people have been almost four times as likely to be arrested. And with arrests come fines and jail time. That means lost time with family, lost potential, and lost wages. All things that are still impacting communities, even after laws have changed. Some cities have launched cannabis equity programs. These are programs meant to help the people who are most impacted by the war on drugs. Cities want to help them make money in the now legal cannabis industry. But exactly how this will all play out has yet to be seen. Linda Grant is a 48-year-old grandmother in Oakland. She's been selling cannabis for a long time, and with that has come run-ins with the law. Here's what she told KQED's Alyssa Jong Perry about her arrest in 1994. I just remember, like, they saying, yeah, you're going to jail for a long time for this weed. And I'm like, what? It's only a $5 bag of weed, $10 maybe. And I just remember them taunting me. The police officer is like, oh, yeah, you're going. You can kiss your kids goodbye. You're going to jail for so long. You ain't going to see sunlight again. It was horrible. Now, Grant wants to join the legal weed business. I think my experience and my background makes me um, eligible to own the spirit because I have been in a cannabis club business, so illegal or not illegal. But owning a dispensary is about more than experience. For one, it requires a lot of money. And historically, communities of color have less access to capital. So it will depend on investors to see if the weed business is equitable. This subject deserves a whole episode. And lucky for you, there is one. KQD's Queued Up podcast recently took a closer look at how marijuana reparations might play out. We'll link to that episode on baycurious.org. Okay, now it's time for our last question. Take us home, Weedbot. Why does the law prohibit marijuana products with seafood? I admit, that seems odd. Mostly, the Department of Public Health just doesn't want people to get sick, and seafood is kind of risky. That means no weed shrimp. No weed tilapia. And no weed crab. Thanks to all of our anonymous question askers for helping guide today's show. We're taking next week off for the holidays. I'm going to Harry Potter World. I'll be in snowy Buffalo, New York. The holidays are a prime time for me to recharge. We'll be back the first week of January. I'm Olivia Allen Price. And I'm Jessica Placek. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? 
Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.